0: And spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Boots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder.
1: I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us.
0: We're so happy you're here. Hello friends, Laura here with another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I am super excited to have a return guest. We got such incredible feedback on the first episode with this wonderful human being, and so I could not wait to have her back on. I posted a call for questions on Instagram, and you guys had a ton, so this should be a really informative, really awesome episode, and I am so excited to introduce, I guess reintroduce, Lily Nichols to the podcast. Um, She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist, certified diabetes educator, researcher, and author with a passion for evidence-based prenatal nutrition and exercise. And postpartum, which we're gonna dive into today. Her best-selling book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, an online course with the same name presents a revolutionary nutrient-dense, lower-carb diet for managing gestational diabetes. Her unique approach has not only helped tens of thousands of women manage their gestational diabetes, most without the need for blood sugar-lowering medication, but has also influenced nutrition policies internationally, which is so cool. Lily's second book, Real Food for Pregnancy, which is absolutely gorgeous, I'm actually looking at it right now, outlines the problems with current prenatal nutrition guidelines and provides the evidence over 920 citations that supports a real food diet to optimize maternal and fetal health. Lily is also creator of the popular blog PilatesNutritionist.com, which explores a variety of topics related to real food, mindful eating, and pregnancy nutrition. And today we're going to be diving whole, wholly and fully into postpartum nutrition. And because um, it was amazing, we talked so much last time and we didn't even touch the surface of postpartum nutrition. And I know you have a whole chapter on it in your book. And I'm just so excited to dive in. So, Lily, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate the, the re invite. Oh, yes, we couldn't wait to get you back on. I appreciate you coming back. It's so it's so great. Plus, like, since our last recording, we've got to meet in real life. And now we're like real life friends. And so basically, we just chatted for 20 minutes before we even jumped on the call because it was just nice to catch up. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. Always awesome. So before we jump in, I like to ask like a fun question. And so our question for you is, my question for you is, what is your current favorite food? Like what, if you could eat anything right now, let's say you're hungry. I know actually you just probably ate. (laughs) What would that thing be?
1: Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll mention something that I literally just ate, um, which are crispy cashews. It's Mm. like raw cashews that have been soaked in, uh, Sea salt, sea salt, and water to make them more digestible, and then you uh, dehydrate them in the oven, and they get super crispy, and they're a little salty, oh and they're just delicious, and way easier on your tummy.
0: Do you dehydrate them at like the what's what heat like one seventy, two hundred, basically the lowest oven will go? <laughs> I do them, um, yeah.
1: I do it at the lowest setting my oven will go, which is one seventy. Mm-hmm. I have a dehydrator, and I just the cashews in particular. Unlike other nuts, they've already been heat processed when they're separated from their their shell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find they get gross if they're not if they're dehydrated at like a really low temperature. They get kind of like slimy. Like you need to dehydrate them faster. That's my opinion. So okay, I think one hundred and fifty or one hundred and seventy is better. Um, the lowest my oven will go is one hundred and seventy. So that's what I do, Matt.
0: How long do you soak them?
1: I do these for seven hours. Six to seven hours. In yeah,
0: salt and water. Okay. Well, I'm going to make that. And <laughs> I'll tag you in it on Instagram because oh, I'm like I have super the, excited.
1: I have the it's like it's originally from nourishing traditions. I can't oh. I can't like claim that I created the whole process, but um I do have a post on my site called Why Eating Nuts Upsets Your Stomach and the whole um way that you make them, the the, the quote recipe, it's not really a recipe, it's a process. Yeah, the how to. <laughs> The how to and why it's beneficial and all the stuff about phytic acid is
0: all in that post. Beautiful, like really the old post. Yeah, it's still. I'll thankful. link to it in the show notes. Yeah. I'm on. am on a real kick right now because like I'm eating very high fat, low carb, and people are always asking. And actually, in the, one of the, the last episodes we recorded, we got a question like, "Can you just list the healthy fats?" Because everyone says like "nourishing fats," "healthy fats." I don't know what that means. And I was like, "That's a very good question," because people just dive into like jars of peanut butter or nut butter or almond butter, and like that is not ideal when we're talking about healthy fats, um, especially if they're not properly prepared like these cashews. So I'm glad yeah,
1: you that Yeah, if <laughs> not properly prepared and – I don't know. My diet over the years has shifted to be not as heavy on nuts. Me too, significantly. Um, I don't even crave
0: them like I used to. You give me a bar yeah. of almond butter in the past, like drink I would just like t- – even the sprouted almond butter just take spoonfuls and I still wouldn't feel that great because there's not – I mean – can only handle so much of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it is usually if you're like, if you're requiring high
0: amounts of nuts or nut butter, it's because
1: you're not getting enough fats from mm-hmm. other places, in my and opinion. But frequently,
0: actually, where women are like, at the end of the night... I, I dive into the peanut butter and I can't get enough because I'm counting macros or whatever. Like, and I'm like, well, you're probably if you can't control yourself, not not like that's kind of the wrong word choice. If you're having a hard time closing the nut butter jar at the end of the day, there's something missing earlier. Yeah, you haven't
1: eaten enough food. You're
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> probably healthy enough. Fats. Fat, yeah. But yeah, too
1: many nuts. That even though they're nuts and they're healthy and they're good, I mean, you have the phytic acid issue, but you just really throw off your omega six to omega three balance when you go super crazy in the nuts. So. Mm-hmm. I like nuts. I like them as a snack. They're just not like the bulk of my diet. Yeah. <laughs> like at one They're point. They're a supplement.
0: I like adding them to a salad or like on top of like some yeah. fruit and yogurt or whatever. Um, exactly. exactly. And I just found out recently that I think I have a walnut allergy because I was eating – I ro- I lightly roasted them and I was eating them. My family we – they were all with my family and they were eating cheese and crackers and the cheese was amazing. And so I was eating cheese and wal- like bites of like warm walnut with cheese. And I mm. had probably too many and my whole mouth hurt. It was like – like there was almost like sores and then I got yeah. like, my belly got descended and I was like bloated and I was like, Oh my gosh, it was really intense. So I don't think, um, I don't think walnuts are my jam and I used to eat a bunch of walnut mm. butter and the same thing like afterwards my mouth would kind of hurt. So I think that I have some, you know, reaction. I have
1: the same issue with walnuts and cashews. If you do the whole soaking dehydrating thing, yeah. it eliminates the issue for me.
0: Okay. I'm going to try it with both nuts because yeah. I love them both, especially in salad. So yeah, yeah. Now that we've talked for like five minutes about nuts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, for anyone who didn't listen back to the first episode, which I will also link in the show notes, but, um, or anyone who maybe that was a while ago, it was a very early episode. So I would love if you could give us a little bit, um, of a refresher on your background. So how did you get into this world of real food, prenatal and postpartum nutrition? And then like, what was the moment for you where you're like, wait a minute, the current way things are being done for women in this motherhood transition is potentially missing the mark a little bit.
1: Sure. I will try to keep it succinct. So, uh, I've specialized in prenatal nutrition for most of my career As a dietitian and diabetes educator, I would say I've been interested in prenatal nutrition way before I even became a dietitian when I first came across the work of Dr. Weston Price and how traditional cultures emphasize certain foods before and during pregnancy to up their fertility and up the chances that they'd have a successful pregnancy. Um, So I have always been interested in that stuff. I didn't start to work professionally in the field until I was working with a gestational diabetes organization in California called Sweet Success uh, where I worked on the nutrition guidelines and helping to teach other practitioners about gestational diabetes nutrition. When I first started to realize things were not quite right with all of our guidelines, well, I think I already had, it, had an idea, but I was really dismayed when I was working clinically using the gestational diabetes guidelines that I had actually helped Revamp for the Sweet Success program when a lot of the women I worked with actually had worse blood sugar numbers following the nutrition recommendations. And I kind of had an idea that maybe our guidelines are a little higher carb than they need to be. Of course, they were certainly too low fat because that's how anything following the dietary (laughs) guidelines is. But uh, I really saw it, you know, not working for a lot of women. And I thought we had a higher proportion of women who are failing diet therapy than needed to be, which means like they required insulin or blood sugar lowering medication um, throughout their pregnancy. And so I started researching alternative ways that we could go about this. Like, could we lower carb intake? Would that be safe? What would that look like? Would the diet still be adequate? Um, And that sort of led to the development of the uh, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes approach, which is lower carb, focuses on low glycemic index carbohydrates, Incorporates all these real food principles we see in ancestral nutrition on getting adequate fats, um, embracing animal fats, embracing eating all parts of the animal, embracing you know more non-starchy vegetables and other you know healthy foods that don't raise the blood sugar um, as much as having like a, a grain-heavy diet. Um, and our outcomes were way better. So that led to the development of my first book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, and then. Uh, eventually after having my own kiddo and all that goes into that, <laughs> I knew I wanted to write a book on prenatal nutrition. And so eventually once I got my brain power back uh, postpartum, real food for pregnancy was born and here I am.
0: I love it. So awesome. And you, I know you've impacted so many women whenever to these days, I'm getting a lot of, I get a lot of questions on Instagram and stuff about like, you know, what should I be doing prenatally postpartum with this, these specific symptoms or whatever. And I'm like, First thing you should do is go back and listen to our episode with Lily, and then get her book. (laughs) Aw, thank you. Because there's just so much incredible information, and you do such a great job of. I think one thing is like in the holistic world, oftentimes um, it can be combative. It's like us versus them, whatever, whatever. But I love your approach to where it's not like you're not tackling anyone else or attacking anyone else or. really condemning other people so much as you're just providing the information in a way that's easy to digest, (laughs) fun intended and, and to soak in. And it's more about like, how can I heal my body or how can I feel well and be well during this process versus like, let's take down the man, you know, it's more just like, right. Shifting the focus to like, how can I be the best version of myself through this transition? Um, and beyond versus like your doctors just straight wrong it's not really so much blame it's just like here's how we just do it better we know better so right. we do better you know right. which i think like is so here's awesome. why you request
1: this blood test yes and why it matters yeah and why optimizing this nutrient is important and where you find this nutrient in food and
0: exactly if you want to do
1: that do that if you don't want to do that hang, no skin off my back <laughs> all i do is provide the evidence for it I and love you it. call.
0: yes what i do now is i go to my regular um I say she's a midwife, but she, you know, regular like OB type environment. And I'll just request blood work and then I'll take that blood work to my naturopath if I have stuff going on and have her help me like decipher it versus asking for the midwife's recommendations or thoughts on it. Cause most always, even if this is like back before Evie um, you yeah. know, the doctor, the OB will be like, everything's great. Everything looks fine. I'm like, well, I don't have a period and I, I am not fertile. So something is going on, you know? Um, right. So I think we can use Western medicine in some capacity to get the blood work. Maybe insurance will cover it, whatever, but then go in empowered to take care of our own health with information that we can get. So thank you for providing yeah. that. <laughs> you bet. Happy to do it. Awesome. Okay. So I feel as though we have enough questions that hopefully we can get through them, but we should just dive in. Are you, are you game for that? I'm I'm game. Cool. So as I mentioned today, we're talking about postpartum nutrition. We're going to let your guys' questions uh, kind of guide this because there's so much amazing information that Lily has to provide. And I think the best place to start, because we got multiple questions on this that I just kind of condensed into one, is about um, lactation and the the nutrients needed and the um, macronutrients needed, I guess, and so both in terms of um, supply. And so one question we got was specifically for a mom who is... Um, she was just seeing things like cookies and oats and those kind of, you know, there's a lot of marketing going on in terms of in increasing supply. So a lot, especially very, very carb heavy. So her question was, you know, what macronutrients should we be eating? Should we focusing more on heavy, heavy carbohydrate to increase supply? Um, should I, should be buying the like lactation cookies and the lactation oats and all that? And what are your thoughts there when it comes to increasing supply?
1: Yeah. So first and foremost, With supply, it's a matter of getting enough of everything. (laughs) Like It's just a matter of, are you eating enough food in total before getting all crazy about macronutrients? Are you eating enough food? Are you drinking enough fluids? Are you getting enough electrolytes? I feel like a lot of moms cut themselves short postpartum because there's sort of this... I personally think that most of it comes from this... uh, This unrealistic expectation that we're supposed to have our body quote bounce back, which is nonsense, by the way, um, super quickly postpartum. So people think, like, oh, all the hard work has been done of growing the baby. Now I'm nursing and, you know, my body should go back and I should not eat as much because now I'm not growing a baby anymore. Like, that's nonsense. Your calorie needs are actually higher postpartum than they are during pregnancy. When you're nursing, um, and even for women who choose not to nurse the first month or so postpartum, like you need a lot of food to recover. So my first question for that person would be, are you, are you ensuring you're eating enough food? Because there's no magic food or magic supplement that's going to take the place of getting enough energy, period. Um, oats are a galactagogue. They can help in some situations they aren't the end-all be-all. You can have an adequate supply of breast milk without ever touching oats. Um, And that would actually be me. I don't do well with oats. They don't make me feel good. I used to have them every day for breakfast for like years and years before realizing, hey, I feel like crap after
0: breakfast every day. Same, but I I get bloated like immediately with oats. Yeah.
1: So I didn't have, I get a huge like I get a huge blood sugar spike and then I crash and I'm starving and I don't feel good. So um, I didn't have any oats nursing and I nursed my son for 26 months. So uh, it was not a requirement. No food is a requirement. No supplement specifically is a requirement. Um, As far as macros, I emphasize getting enough of your fat and protein specifically. And for women who kind of have erred on the low carb side of things, some women notice a big dip in their supply if they're not getting enough carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And we don't know why specifically, but there are, like, this is something that isn't super well studied, but there's, there's three plausible explanations. And I actually go through this in the postpartum chapter in the book, um, which is, yeah, I think it's chapter 12. Yeah. Chapter 12. Um, all in the fourth trimester. So one lower carb diets, naturally reduce your hunger levels. And so you might not realize that you're undereating when you are. <laughs> so if you're just not eating enough food, that could reduce supply. Um, lower carb diets naturally result in water loss. Think if you've ever gone low carb and you lose that like water weight in the first couple of days, that same thing happens um, if you're eating lower carb in nursing. And this could make dehydration more common, which I feel like it's already pretty common because when you're kind of you're stuck on the couch nursing a baby all day, you kind of don't want to drink a lot of water to have to get up and go pee when the baby's sleeping on you, and uh, so that could be a a possibility. And then lower carb diets also increase your needs for electrolytes, and so if you're not being really cognizant to get more electrolytes and more salt, um, those are all excreted in your breast milk as well. So it could be just a you know, it's, it's a, it's a response to not having enough energy fluid or electrolytes that your supply might go down. At the same time, I hear from other people who go low carb and they say their supply is higher than ever. And I don't know if that's because they're just eating enough calories. Point number one, if they're doing point number one, plus being really cognizant on their fluid and salt and electrolyte intake, um, we're not sure. And as far as I've seen in practice, Carbohydrate needs are pretty individual. So I am, I caution women against going super, super low carb unless their body is already adapted to that way of eating, in which case it shouldn't be a problem. If you notice a dip in your supply, simply eat more carbs and go on with your day. Um, but for women who haven't been eating low carb, I wouldn't drop it significantly or significantly very quickly Um, without being really cognizant on your supply. And you kind of have to make the call. Like, do you care about sticking to a certain number of macros or trying to lose weight really fast? Or do you care about continuing nursing? Neither one is a right or wrong answer, but you just have to kind of make the choice. What is your priority right now? um, And decide what you want to do with that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Around four months postpartum for me, I decided, Hey, I want to just experiment with this. I went back to similar macros to prenatal, um, before I got pregnant. Um, so I guess preconception, but I upped everything just a little bit. Cause I knew I was nursing and I just, you know what? I like de- I decombusted. I got really, um, my milk supply never changed, but what happened was I think she was just taking everything and I wasn't getting enough for me. So like my mm. hormones is what I noticed the most. I felt, um, like very Easy to cry, um, easy to kind of melt down. Stress, just like the little stressors felt so much more stressful. So then it wasn't Mm – it was about another month or two later after that. Well, first I was like, I can't do this. And mostly it was because of the fat. I knew that it was just way too low fat. So I stopped counting and I just was craving fat. So then about – I stopped and then just went back to eating whatever again. Not whatever but, you know, nutrient-dense but pretty balanced um, carbs and fat and protein. And then about a month and a half later, I started getting kind of like brain fog and not feeling that great. And I just cut the carbs and the sugar, mostly just – processed sugar completely and increase my fat so much. And I, it was like a, I can't even express how incredible it was. I know every woman is different, but like my supply, if anything just got better or, you know, so for, but like you said, there are, there are some women who it might go down, but for me, I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm an outlier or what, that's a question I have for you. Cause I get asked all the time. Am I an outlier that my milk supply maybe improved when i went super high fat low carbohydrate or is that a potentially normal thing for that many women might experience
1: it's a good question we kind of don't know mm-hmm. like i looked really closely at the literature to see if we could find differences in this cuz if you follow any like low carb or keto mommies groups and especially breastfeeding groups you see quite a few posts of women struggling with milk supply when they went keto mm-hmm. and my my suspicion about a lot of it is there's a lot of people not eating enough food in general. That's so I feel. I feel like it's just the under choice. Things. Yeah. So the choice to go low carb is a choice made with, with the intention to lose weight. And mm-hmm. thus there's also an intentional choice to, to restrict on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They might be doing it accidentally too, because hunger levels go down, mm-hmm. um, on low carb traditionally. Um, I also think there might not be, it might be done too quickly. So you're not allowing your body to time to adapt to lower carbohydrate intake. I know for me personally, postpartum, I was so hungry. Like at least in the first like month or two, it took a bit for my appetite to re-regulate. I was so hungry that I needed to eat more of everything including carbs. And I fall on like the moderately low carb range. Mm-hmm. I'm not someone that does well, like full on keto. Um, I've experimented that it doesn't work well for me. So I'm more moderately low carb. I was probably somewhere between like 90 and 150 ish carbs a day during pregnancy. I also don't track super specifically mm-hmm. um, since I do the mindful eating thing. So some days lower, some days higher and I don't worry about it as yep. long as I'm feeling good. Yeah. And, um, especially postpartum, like it's going to be impossible to track, to like take care of a baby and also measure your food. And, and that could have been part of like, the reason why
0: I was on the verge of tears. Yeah. Cause I was like, I don't have the capacity right now at four months no. postpartum to also weigh and measure my food. <laughs>
1: no, you don't. All you have capacity to do is to remember to eat mm-hmm. and drink something, try to have it include something that's like fatty and protein-y. So it's sustaining and doesn't let you like, crash your, your mm-hmm. hunger and energy in like an hour or two, um, and drink some water while you're nursing. I mean, that's like kind of all you have capacity to Yeah. Do.
0: And that's what I ended I, up doing. And I found it so much easier. I was like, I'm just gonna, so it started for me just, I cut sugar and grains. That's it. And, but I still was eating like apples and squash and stuff in my salads and still like the, denser real food carbohydrate sources and then gradually as I was like all I want is fat all I want is fat I just kind of slowly and I just wasn't craving the fruit and stuff anymore and so I started pulling it out and that's what my body needed at that time and for mm-hmm. me it was like I needed to be able to think clearly and um, I was sleeping better and my like everything just felt better <laughs> my capacity to yeah. take on the day was better I was everything just I felt so good And then when I would have a little bit of sweet something, sometimes like for a little while, it was like almost therapeutic because if I even ate like berries or fruit, I would get brain fog. So I think I needed an extended period of time where I just cut it totally. And, um, but not, not with the, for me, it wasn't about losing weight. It was about just like, I wanted to feel really good. And so now I think because that was my motive, uh, the sweet stuff, the sugar stuff doesn't even appeal to me anymore because it, I just, I know how it could make me feel. And also my palates changed. And so anyways, mm-hmm. not meaning to go off on a tangent mm-hmm. here, but I just find it so interesting how, no, yeah, the, cause you mentioned the mindful eating piece. And I think if only every mama could know, like if we could just eat a little bit more mindfully postpartum, I think one of the ways it that is to cut sugar, which I'm sure we'll get into is the, the next question is actually about sugar, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So just, I'll mention
1: one thing I can yeah. go on a super long tangent on mindful eating, but I did want to w- mention this one study that kind of might help people put into perspective, the carb thing that I was only able to find one study that compared breast milk output from women eating a high carb versus a low carb diet. And it was performed in breastfeeding women at eight to 12 weeks postpartum. And, uh, the groups, the, Women in the two groups were eating the same number of calories, but the proportion of carbohydrates in the diet was lower. So the low-carb group, which actually wasn't really that low, more in the moderately low-carb, was 137 grams of carbs per day, and the high-carb plan provided 265 grams per day. And then there was no significant difference in milk output. But they were controlling for calories, right? So they were making sure the women were eating enough food, Period, which I think is really important. I also think when people get all start to get all um, uber specific about like how many carbs and should I go keto, go not keto. I mean the this is the really the only data we have to go off of, and that's 137 grams a day. It's not less than 20 grams of total carbs a day or less than 20 grams Mm -hmm. of net carbs a day. It's a decent quantity of carbs which you can meet eating just in a relatively unrestricted real food diet. You just don't have to go crazy on oatmeal and grains and fruit smoothies and all that stuff if you don't want to, if it doesn't leave you feeling well. And your milk supply will probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say that milk supply is something that's really, really hard to estimate. I know for me personally, the I didn't respond well to the pump. So I didn't pump very much because I would only get a couple ounces combined both sides each time I pumped, which I've actually found out is is a normal amount to pump. And I guess most of my friends who would pump like eight and 12 ounces at at a time actually had oversupply. But for me, it wasn't worth my time to be pumping and have my kid being watched versus just nurse the kid. at the breast, have them empty the breast more efficiently, be able to mother and bond with my baby and not be separate. I realize work situations make that difficult. But like, if you're only estimating your supply by the pump, your baby actually often gets a different amount of milk than the pump, which you'll see if you do like a pre and post weighted feed situation with a lactation consultant, which I actually did at one point. And my son, he was totally fine getting plenty of milk um, from my breast. So I think it's tricky when people are looking at supply just by measuring what they pump. I mean, you really don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, There's even questions about like the, the makeup of your milk as your diet changes. So if your diet is higher fat and the proportion of fat goes up in your milk, which actually a lot of women do notice if you pump and after a while, you know, Breast milk isn't homogenized. Once it sits, the cream top, right, like the cream, rises to the top. Um, a lot of women do notice that their milk is creamier, richer, and maybe you don't need like as large of a volume mm-hmm. necessarily if your milk is fattier because the energy density is higher. There's like a lot of unanswered questions there, mm-hmm. um, but I just want people to be, you know, aware that the whole measuring of milk output is something that's really hard to guesstimate. And like the best you can do is like pre post weighted feeds with a lactation consultant, um, or, or, and I should say, um, monitoring your baby's weight and the number of wet and poopy diapers per day. And that's kind of all you can go off. Everything else is just your body magically produces the right amount. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's Awesome. Um, cool. And I actually listened to an episode of, from Katie Bowman about breasts and breast milk and breastfeeding. And she talked about like another thing, another way to kind of get it. She mentioned frequent nursing. So kind of like in a way nursing on demand, but, but just like I've started to eat, I nurse Evie multiple times a day, but it's super short. And, um, and I've noticed like when I do pump for comfort, if I'm gone for the day or whatever, like it's very fatty and then there's just, it's not, maybe not quite as much, maybe it's my impatience and I'm just like, okay, I'm done doing this. <laughs> but, um, I, I know I'm pretty sure that can impact supply too. she was mentioning how, like it changes things from having like a four milk and a hind milk to if you breast if you nurse more frequently throughout the day then they just kind of get like everything at once so it's a little bit oh, more fattier from the start so it's it's going to be more filling and so they don't nurse for as long um, mm-hmm. so we just kind of have like little breaks throughout the day where I she just kind of like will crawl up to me and like grab you know not grab but like latch nurse and then pop off and crawl away um and that's yeah. been working really well for us so that's kind of a tangent on nursing but um all very good thoughts I think um thank you for sharing that because nursing's hard and and, and you know it's a whole nother ball game for women who work out of the home like I can't um it's so hard oh my imagine, gosh I do that.
1: would I recognize that I would have not been able to mm-hmm. nurse as long as we nursed if I had to work outside of the home I work in the home and I arrange child care in the home so I could nurse I just had childcare for like three hour increments so I could nurse before and after and have just like a solid block of work time that I didn't need to interrupt with pumping, which Mm -hmm. would have taken like 30 minutes out of my work time that I'm like paying childcare for. Right. Um, but yeah, I, because I wasn't somebody who produced a bunch of milk, I mean, I produced milk, but I didn't respond to the pump really well. Mm -hmm. Um, it would have been really challenging to meet my kids, needs entirely from milk alone if I wasn't with him all the time. Um, and we were lucky that we didn't have to supplement and I was able to arrange my work schedule the way that I needed to accomplish that. But it's a, it's a massive trade-off breastfeeding is like a huge amount of energy and effort and time Mm -hmm. and awareness
0: (laughs) in our modern day culture isn't really conducive, you know? So I actually have a number of friends and people that I've worked with who have been able to work things out with their, um, work situation where they were able to transition to working from home at least more days a week than prior to baby. And so, um, that actually really helped with their supply because more, like you said, more time with baby nursing, actual like boob to mouth, um, was, it definitely makes a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you don't get as much like m- incidence of like mastitis and mm-hmm. clogged ducts and any of that. Like, luckily yes. I never had to deal with that. I and did. I feel like that was because it was mostly baby to boob. Yeah. <laughs> they're really efficient at getting milk. That's mm-hmm. what they're designed to do. Yep.
0: Okay. Well, kind of transitioning now because this, uh, we kind of talked about sugar and now I want to get back into it now that we've kind of talked about lactation. Um, is this one, this woman says that she's not, she's usually not a sweets person, but now postpartum, she craves sweets like all the time. And if she has a sweet, the sweet tooth is not satisfied. So the struggle is real. She's like, it's not, she says fruit doesn't help. It's, she wants all the chocolate. And then two other people piggybacked on that. Yes. My sugar cravings are out of control at 13 and a half months postpartum. And then someone else, same boat, same boat. And she's 17 months postpartum. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on sugar postpartum. Um, why are they, why do they feel like they need it? Why, Why, where are these cravings coming from? Oh,
1: man, there could be so many possible reasons it's (laughs) popping up, right? So I mean, it could come back to what we were talking about earlier about just not getting enough food. Mm -hmm. It is really, really hard to just eat enough food when you're caring for a baby or a young child, because they are very demanding of your time and attention. Um, And there's sort of that mother instinct sort of kicks in of like you feed the baby first and then you're like wait a second mm-hmm. i didn't eat anything um so maybe some mindfulness around making sure you're getting enough food um if that is not the case and food intake is okay and by the way like fat and protein like get enough blood sugar sustaining not blood sugar spiking food mm-hmm. so like are you getting a solid breakfast of like a good amount of protein, like 20, 25, 30 grams of protein in the morning, oftentimes that resets the whole craving issue uh, for the rest of the day. So that would be like a couple eggs or maybe a couple eggs with some sausage or bacon or leftover proteins from the night before with some veggies, always cooked with you know sufficient fat and salt and all those, those things to make it taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, so look at that. Another thing to consider is, you know, hormonally, there's a lot going on postpartum for a long time, and there's many possible places for things to get dysregulated. So if you're feeling really low energy because of something hormonal going on or because of not getting enough sleep, which I can totally sympathize with because that was my life for like 18 plus months, um your body's like blood sugar balancing hormones are off with crappy sleep <laughs> and you might just be like craving something energizing and thus your body leads you towards sugary things because they do give you a quick spike in your energy levels the question to ask is does it give you a sustaining rise to your energy levels or does it just spike you and make you crash which is where the whole mindfulness thing that you were talking about Comes into play. Um, Another hormonal thing to take into consideration, especially with energy levels being kind of off, is like thyroid health or adrenal health. Your adrenals are taking on a lot postpartum. Um, All the recovery stuff, the interrupted sleep, the constantly being on to respond to your baby's needs day and night. It's a lot on your adrenals. They're probably also still recovering from pregnancy, which also is a lot when you're growing a whole brand new human being. So um, really thinking about adrenal support can be helpful. You could work with a functional practitioner to do some testing around that. Or there's a lot of women who find benefit from um, using certain adaptogenic herbs, or I know you're big into adaptogenic mushrooms and stuff um, during this time to support that. Thyroid health is definitely something that you could get checked by a practitioner. Have them run a full thyroid panel, and I go through all the things to be asking for in the postpartum chapter of of Real Food for Pregnancy. If you're low thyroid and super low energy, you know your body oftentimes does tell you to eat sugar because it does give you that quick pick me up. Same thing with caffeine. And sometimes during this period, you know, if you get your thyroid back up to par and your adrenals back up to par, you can feel a little better. Um, But it also can just be a matter of reminding yourself that it's okay to slow down (laughs) right now. It's okay to do less and just take care of the very basic needs. It's also okay to put your needs first, especially first thing in the morning when you need to get food in your system and get really creative about how can you get enough energy like first thing in the morning to keep you going for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true. I think a lot of times we we want like a fix like how can I what what's like a food I can eat or a supplement I can take that's just going to give me more energy um so I can mom better, but it's like maybe the fix sometimes is just taking care of ourselves first uh and th- you know, thinking about sitting down and enjoying that meal is going to it's going to down regulate your nervous system and like just give you a chance to like breathe, eat, do all the things just in that one – like maybe even if it's just like five to seven minutes of sitting and eating. Um, and I know yeah. like it's sometimes it's easier said than done, but I really feel like there's so much benefit to that um, if possible. Even if you're wearing your baby and you're standing while you eat, but just trying to take moments to just – Oh,
1: my gosh. I had, so Almost nice. all my meal prep was done while baby yeah. wearing for uh-huh. – we way, way, way too
0: long, Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Um, and that kind of takes us to the next question, which you pretty you answered, but I just want to make sure I touch on it. She said, are there any foods and/ or supplements that could target combating the effects of sleep deprivation? And she says, also, I have an almost four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-week-old. And she had a C-section with the newest baby and not the other two. Um, And she's finding that her energy level is not returning the way it did with the other two. And uh, she's a little bit older. She's 35. So she's just wondering if there's any thoughts on that or or supplements or specific foods she might benefit more from reaching for.
1: I mean, that would definitely be the way that this postpartum experience has been – harder than the previous two that she hasn't felt like her energy levels rebounded as quickly that is a sign to me to go and get your thyroid tested and have a a full comprehensive thyroid panel done postpartum thyroid issues are extremely common and extremely underdiagnosed and a lot of women talk about when they they get that fixed which can is often done with you know, nutritional help and often with replacement thyroid hormone therapy, um, they talk about like the lights being turned back on. It like affects your mental health as well, by the way, if your thyroid is off. So that would be my first question is, has that been checked? If it was checked, were they looking at a comprehensive panel? If it was checked, was it more than three months ago? Because it can actually shift. Oftentimes, um, postpartum thyroid hormones are in a bit of flux so someone will be hyperthyroid and then euthyroid or normal and then go hypo um, or it can go in a different pattern but it's it's discussed in literature like this triphasic pattern so if things felt good at one point and are now not feeling good and you're like but my labs were okay before if you're feeling bad now get your labs rechecked
0: uh, hi friends laura here with some exciting news Force has come on as a Modern Mamas podcast sponsor. We are so excited. If you've been following along with my Instagram stories, especially, you've seen that I use this stuff every single morning. The Lion's Mane Elixir is my absolute favorite. I add it to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like Rishi for calming, cordyceps for an energy boost, and chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the lion's mane and coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high-quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water. You mix in the blend and you're set they have caffeine caffeine free options as well like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow and they have all kinds of incredible blends i cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website find whatever mushroom blend is is going to fit with your lifestyle and give it a try The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners, you guys are special, you get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas or simply type in modern mamas, all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 15% off. Check it out, see what fits your life, and happy shrooming. Um,
1: I would say just in terms of, you know, replenishing yourself postpartum, especially after, you know, three children. Like your body actually may still be recovering from baby number one and two. And like baby number three is just compounding the draw from your energy and nutrient stores. Plus you have the additional task of having to care for two older children.
0: Yeah, after two C-section young children too. and,
1: they're, and they're, a C section. Yeah. Which is a lot. There's just a lot mm-hmm. to be done. Um so, what I would say nutritionally, things to think about would be um, like iron levels and vitamin B12. So, animal foods, I am big on liver and organ meats. That's going to be one of your biggest most concentrated sources of both iron and b12 really important for recovery that was huge Uh for me i took
0: four of the paleo valley organ complex pills every day postpartum and i really think it helped um and i still maintain it now and we try and get like liverwurst in and give it to evie and i sprinkle the organ complex on her egg yolk and stuff because i'm just like that to me is the primary superfood like there's all this buzz about superfoods, oh, yeah. and i think organ meats are from grass-fed cows or whatever are the most nutrient-dense food yes that you can
1: eat. <laughs> hugely nutrient-dense and has like so many of the nutrients that your body needs mm-hmm. for pregnancy and postpartum you got your zinc and vitamin a in there for the tissue recovery um, from your c-section all of that healing you have the vitamin a you have the uh, vitamin b12 the iron for your you know rebuilding your your blood which by the way helps you like carry oxygen through your bloodstream and keep you energized so there could be many possible things going on organ meats and liver would be like a really good idea for for many reasons um if you're open to eating oysters those are also going to be really high in both iron and B12 they're like off the charts high in both of those nutrients so if those can be incorporated or if organ meats are kind of averse to you for any reason, maybe you can incorporate some oysters. Um, in terms of tissue repair, the amino acid glycine, which is found in really high amounts in any foods that are rich in collagen or gelatin, or collagen and gelatin supplements like you know powders that you can add to things, those are really fantastic for uh, for tissue recovery and repair. The pelvic floor, any cuts or surgical wounds that that need to be healed up. Um, They also are just any foods that are really high in glycine seem to be really emphasized in traditional cultures. Broths were uh, extremely, if you start looking at like what traditional cultures do across the globe in the first four to six weeks postpartum, there's this theme of warming, nourishing comfort foods and you see broths and soups and stews that incorporate animal products like bones. And, um, there's like a pig feet soup in China and you have like this special seaweed broth in Korea. You have certain curries and in, in India, you have, it's like, it's a theme all over the globe. <laughs> there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. Um, so a, you got your fluids, you got your electrolytes. They're usually plenty salty or very seasoned, and you got tons of glycine from the gelatin and collagen that's in there. Um, so if you have help from people and can ask for, for folks to bring you some food, like ask for some pulled pork, ask for, you know, their special special like chicken noodle soup or um, a, uh, what's the thing, like a, a pot roast, um, Broth, Like those are the things that are really beneficial. If you have an instant pot, like that makes it really easy. Just like every time I make some meat and we do a cow share. So most of our meat comes on the bone. um, I'll cook that on its own, usually an instant pot also to make it really easy. We have that for dinner. The bone goes in a a bag in the freezer. And every time I make meat, I keep adding the bone to that bag in the freezer. Once I have a full gallon size Ziploc bag, I throw it in an instant pot cover it with water, maybe add an onion, maybe don't, maybe add a bay leaf, maybe don't, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe add some seaweed to it, maybe don't, but uh, cover it with water, pop it in an instant pot for 90 minutes on high pressure and strain it and you have super, super, super rich bone broth that almost always gels. So that is your gelatin and glycine essentially for free because you're Mm -hmm. using you're using things that people throw away. Um, so that would be super helpful for recovery. Yeah. I, love I could it. keep going, but those are, well, well yeah. So and dogs. you
0: kind of answer the next question too, because this one, um, bread horse 811 says, what are, uh, what are tasty, easy meals to bring for a friend who had a baby, but maybe nothing too crazy crunchy because most people don't like that kind of food as much as I'd love to share it with them. Like you don't have to saute a piece of liver and bring it to your newly postpartum mama friend. You can make like a, really delicious, highly palatable, uh, soup or stew or, you know, any of that stuff. It doesn't have to be, yeah. um, soup. And that, that's the kind of thing, or like get a pastured rotisserie chicken and then bring over some veggies that you've roasted in like ghee or you know, healthy fats and whatnot. It doesn't have to be, um, super gnarly, but it's pretty easy to, to make real food palatable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would really encourage, I mean, it depends how early postpartum they are for me. Um, I feel like babies, well, a, they eat all the time. That whole estimate of like, Oh, they eat eight to 12 times a day. I was like eight to 12 times a day. I pretty much constantly have a baby attached to me, but, um, that meant that I was usually nursing while eating. Cause mm-hmm. inevitably when the, once the food is ready, baby wants to eat again. Um, so foods that are easy to eat with one hand can be helpful. So, um, sort of casserole type dishes can be helpful um, proteins where you've cut it up into bite-sized pieces. So if you're doing chicken, maybe you can cut it up for them. Like when you arrive and put it on a plate or their partner can do it, something like that. Um, I did like, a when my mom was with me early postpartum, she made like a zucchini, uh, lasagna. And so that was easy cause it stayed on the fork. We were able to incorporate liver into the ground meat that went into the lasagna. Um, it's, you know, pretty high calorie, pretty high energy since we're using full fat, everything. I don't drain any of the fat off the meat when you like cook the ground meat and any of that. So super fatty, super filling my body, like loved meat early on meatloaf. Also, you can put liver in that really easily
0: or other recipe for that. You might too. (laughs) Yes, I do too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whatever, whatever meatloaf recipe you want to use. I'm sure both bars have liver in it. Um, those are fantastic. Uh, pulled pork. That's one that I like to bring to, to mama's. I feel like it's tasty for everybody. Um, then I can make like a, maybe a potato salad or coleslaw or something to go with it. I, I don't do bun like pulled pork and buns, but maybe I'll bring that for, for them too, if they want it. Um, yeah, those would be the things I would suggest like high fat, high protein meat. I love it. <laughs> it's really what you want. Yeah. salmon. I mean, I my uh, son was born in Alaska, and so everybody has tons of fish, and that's like everyone's trying to offload fish out of their freezer. So I had like four postpartum meals of salmon um in the first two weeks because that's what people brought over. That stays in the fork really well. That's easy. Uh, I would keep it simple. and and if you can come up with things that can be easily reheated and are good the next day, that's optimal. So if you want to do like a separate tray of like roasted vegetables, those are good, hot or cold. Mm-hmm. Often as a mom, if you're home on your own and you have a newborn, you don't have time to like heat things up. And if it's good eating cold straight out of the fridge, even better. Mm-hmm. So
0: And I had Evie in June. So like, I know you're supposed to be eating all the warm stuff and someone made us a delicious chili, but I kept reaching for someone else brought like this really incredible salad with like, Oh, so good and I just I and then she also brought a frittata loaded with veggies and bacon and pork and the frittata tasted so good cold um mm. and so I would pull that out of the fridge and like add avocado and eat I probably ate half of it and like just a few hours I'm still so hungry it's so funny that's so a hungry.
1: great idea frittata yeah. or like little egg muffin cups like mm-hmm. breakfast is sometimes hard to to get in and it depends on if you know you have somebody or your partner home with you to prepare food but it's, it's really challenging to prepare yeah.
0: food when you have a newborn it is and I, I feel very grateful and we had we had we did a whole episode on like finding building a tribe so that people your support in the postpartum period and unfortunately my husband was home a lot and we had friends bringing dinner all the time we always had food in the fridge it was like that was I think a huge part of my postpartum recovery yeah. mentally, physically, emotionally, all of it. Cause I'm being deeply nourished on a physical level, but then also like through the love of the, the love language of food, which yeah. speaks to me very strongly. So if you can set something like that up postpartum, um, I cannot recommend that enough. And people are love to help by nature. I feel like it's innate in us to want to support moms in the, those early weeks. And I think a yes. lot of moms are like, well, then I have to let them in and like talk to them and I don't feel up for it. It's like, no, you can put a note on the door saying, please leave it in this cooler and no one will yes. be upset. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: They're just happy mm-hmm. to have been able yeah. to support you know
1: yeah I had a friend like arrange it on I think it's called take them a meal or one of one of those websites um where she arranged the meal delivery and people could sign up and they'd even tell me what they were going to bring so I had sort of a menu people could also see like oh someone's bringing salmon that day I won't bring salmon again um so that was that was really nice what I really had to do is that Some of the people bringing me food didn't know me super well, which Mm. was also like an amazing outpouring of love, by the way. But um, they knew I was into nutrition. And so I got a little bit of the, well, she's a nutritionist. So I got like plain brown rice (laughs) and like plain broccoli. So Mm -hmm. we kind of had it down where it was like, we need to add like butter, salt Mm -hmm. and cheese (laughs) flavor and fat to everything. Um, because I, I, it, I needed really energy dense stuff. That's so. how I, we
0: ate a lot of, I had a lot of cheese, a lot of butter. Um, and so we yeah. did the same thing. We always have cheese on hand and then we just add it to everything or, yeah. you know, reheat everything in ghee, um, just low. And
1: anytime somebody says, can I bring you something? Always respond with yes. Just yeah. make something up always yes. respond yes everybody wants to be helpful and they don't know how to help
0: even if you're like all I've been craving just can you bring me like a bag of avocados you know like whatever yeah. it is that you feel or a brick of cheese like we we love the um there's like local cheese and we weren't making it to farmer's market the first week or so so I was like can I just ask a friend to bring me some cheese <laughs> <laughs> there the you go. and they love feeling needed you know I, I do yeah. I love when my friends have babies and I get to go help and Um, you know, it's great. So let people have that. And then you get served too, which is amazing. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Beautiful. The next one is super interesting to me because it's, um, I don't know, it's not a question that I've gotten before. She said, what about intermittent fasting while nursing specifically a 12 to 16 hour overnight morning fast? My goal, um, with the fasting is to pay closer attention to my body and understand my real hunger and needs, but also baby's got to eat and eat good too. So I'll just say like for me, um, in the first month or so I had to have like, middle of the night snacks. I kept um, like perfect bars or whatever, like in my, uh, next to my bed because I was just so hungry all the time. But then like, it just kind of, for me gradually weaned off. And now an, a 12 hour overnight, if I don't eat, if I have dinner at seven, I likely won't have anything until like eight in the morning. Um, so that I just, it never really occurred to me like that. I was fasting so much as I'm just, I'm mm. okay. I'm not hungry. I wake up and I make my boosted coffee or whatever once I feel, but I know that's also probably a product of eating a ton of fat and not as much sugar. So I'd be super yeah. curious to hear your thoughts on this. And your body
1: is your body's super fat adapted yeah. too. So when mm-hmm. you have that as Rob Wolf, Wolf would call metabolic flexibility, you mm-hmm. have in, you have that innate ability to adapt to different ways of eating and it not being a big effect. Mm-hmm. Um, my question for her would be how far postpartum she is. Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're in the first 3 to 6 months postpartum and possibly even beyond that, uh, you need a lot of food. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so intermittent fasting just might not work. I'd say if you do experiment with it and you find that you're really hungry, you have permission to break the fast. Yes. You experimented and you were really hungry and you needed food and you can't go as long of intervals without eating. So eat,
0: especially if the reason time. for her is to understand her real hunger needs. Like I, it's an interesting, I find that to be a little bit of a dichotomy of like scheduling a period of not eating with the purpose of knowing when to eat. I feel like, um, we talked about this on our last recording, something that could be more beneficial potentially is just cutting out the foods that really are going to spike insulin. I don't know your thoughts there. It's like eating, Agreed. like cutting sugar is way as a really solid tool to learning what whether you're hungry or not, or just wanting sugar, if you cut it, then that's to me, in my opinion, that's an okay thing to cut, but like cutting hours of the day of potential nutrition when, especially as a new mom, um, to me, that seems a little counterintuitive to eating more intuitively.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot also when your adrenals are so tired from Mm -hmm. being, having interrupted sleep for months and months and months and maybe years. I mean, there's different sleepers. My kid was not the most amazing sleeper. And so I was nursing throughout the night for past 18 months. Okay. So there was not a single night of uninterrupted sleep during that whole time. My adrenals were tired. Going without food for many hours is a lot of stress on your adrenals. I know intermittent fasting works well for some people. I think for the majority Of nursing moms, I don't think it makes sense just from an adrenal standpoint, from making sure you're getting enough food standpoint. Um, So I would caution against it. I can't say that 100% of women would have a negative experience from intermittent fasting. So I would just say experiment with how long it is before you're hungry again without putting a specific. Yeah.
0: time mean, maybe you'll fall, you'll accidentally fall into like a 12 hour overnight. I mean, yeah. you know, but, but to put parameters, um, if you're going impl- to, in my opinion, if you're going to implement parameters, it should be on food quality, not on hours of eating throughout the day. Bingo. <laughs> Okay, moving on. That was, that was great. Thank you. Okay, this one's really interesting as well. She's currently 17 months postpartum and she's fallen off the wagon. I don't love that those word choices because there's no wagon. We're just living. We're doing the best we can. But anyways, I just had to throw that in there. As far as movement and nutrition go, she's still I still tend to make pretty good food choices, but I want to feel good about trying to have a second baby. What I don't want is to be unhealthy and overweight when I get pregnant again. I was able to lose a lot of weight and detox before I got pregnant, but we are still breastfeeding, so I don't know how to safely detox while doing that. What are your thoughts on detoxing while nursing and this question in general?
1: Mm. So back up a bit about falling off the wagon. She feels like she's fallen off the wagon. How so?
0: Um, With fitness and nutrition. like Maybe she's not eating as well as she had before her pregnancy, and maybe she's not working as much.
1: I feel like we have to give ourselves so much mm-hmm. grace as moms because there's a lot there's a lot on our plates and it we're not going to be you know eating a specific meal plan and following macros and doing all these things that I'm not saying that's what she did but a really regimented planned out I have 2 weeks of meal meals planned you know we can't do that to that same degree when we're moms. So I think we have to first just accept that this is a phase of life that is really demanding and we're always doing the best we can. So I would just encourage her for any choice she decides to make to come at it from a place of self-love where it's not about, um, I've fallen off the wagon and I've done a bad job. It's that, I would feel better energized and better nourished if I did X, Y, Z. If I incorporated more of this food, pick one of the nutrient dense foods we've been talking about. I would feel better if I put more priority on having a solid breakfast every morning. I would feel better if find the thing. I would feel better if I went on a walk. I'd feel better if I, it's, it's such a transition period you know, I can say, I could say this now, like in hindsight, cause my kid is over two years old and he's now weaned and like looking back on those 26 months of nursing, it is so much work and energy and time invested in this other being, which for me was all worth it. But as I look back, I'm like, hmm, how could I have put more energy into my self-care? I felt pretty good, but that would be my question for her. Just like, what, what could you do that would help you feel better? Not that there's anything now that you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to detoxing, it's a bit of a slippery slope during breastfeeding. Um, well, and pregnancy as well. What I'll say is they have what they, what we have some research on, because I have a whole section on uh, toxins in the book, is I have a, they've done research on supplementing with chlorella during pregnancy and breastfeeding, which has shown um, a lower toxin levels in breast milk. They were specifically looking at dioxins in that study, which is like a highly persistent and toxic organic uh, pollutant that's kind of everywhere in our environment. But really speaks highly to the to the value of chlorella. Um, and they found dioxin levels were like 40% lower in the women who had been taking chlorella. Um, so that does appear to be safe. That is something that binds to toxins. It's not something that like liberates toxins in your bloodstream and thus increases the toxin level in your breast milk. It seems to do the opposite. It pulls toxins out of your system. So that's something that appears to be safe. As far as, like, other methods of detoxing, I mean, there's all ranges of opinions and things that people might do, but um, herbally, a lot of herbs are, you know, controversial as to whether they should be used while nursing or not, so I would just consult your healthcare provider, um, specifically somebody trained in herbs for their recommendations on those, but a lot of people the sort of general stance that many people have on on herbs and breastfeeding or detoxing during breastfeeding is you don't want to be detoxing in a way that increases contaminant levels in your breast milk. So if it is a supplement that is not something like chlorella where it's like binding to things, but instead is like increasing your liver's capacity to detoxify um, or freeing up persistent toxins from your fat cells or elsewhere in your body, then you might actually be increasing the toxin load in your body and increasing the toxin levels in your breast milk. So uh, most people suggest that you just wait until you're, you're weaned, um, until you go full on into a detox.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I also think there's a lot to be said of just like transitioning and eating, you know, really nutrient dense foods, really healthy without having to do like, uh a any sort of a detox
1: (laughs) exactly so yeah so things that are really beneficial for liver health in general um, and supply the nutrients that your body uses in like phase one and phase two detoxification so um, selenium for example is used in the production of glutathione Um, glycine also is involved in that there's a lot of different nutrients found in pretty much all the real foods we've been talking about this whole time like high quality proteins eating nose to tail, um, all your colorful fruits and veggies, um, especially the non-starchy ones, things that naturally have fiber in them, like those are a good call. Those will help bind and remove toxins as things are moving through your your digestive tract. Like those are all wise choices that are all Mm -hmm. safe to do while breastfeeding without resorting to like herbs and supplements as or like something like a juice cleanse or something. Yes. Oh my gosh,
0: that's just a calorie like <laughs> restriction. Um, and
1: please don't do a an herbal supplement that is a like a, a, a laxative type oh gosh. Of detox. Like a lot of those box detox products on the shelf are just like just don't do those. You don't want to take something like senna or cascara sagrada or any of those things that are going to just cause you osmotic diarrhea. That's mm-hmm. just going to dehydrate you and not be good. And at can all. you imagine
0: trying to like nurse and take care of a baby with? that kind of
1: situation, no.
0: not yep. at all. And I also think it's important to note too, that like, I, I feel that she might be holding on pretty tightly to this correlation between weight and health and not always, um, weight be having more weight on your body. Postpartum is not an indicator that you are in any way less healthy necessarily. I think that's something that's so kind of skewed in our society where like we look at someone and they're like, Oh, overweight, unhealthy, but sometimes your body maybe needs to hold on to a little bit more weight, um, in order to produce the milk or it's a hormonal thing. And, and, uh, those things could be correlate, correlative, but they're not always causative. Yeah. Like health is not necessarily or overweight, according to some standard. Who knows, you know what standard that is? Um, does not necessarily indicate that you are unhealthy. And so, I, definitely, I, I, like detoxing shouldn't necessarily be like a punishment or a. Um, Like you know, kind of being like if I wouldn't, I would hate. I don't know her specific story, but I would hate for her to be super hard on herself and wanting to use a detox as like a way to restrict or to kind of like beat herself down a little bit because she's holding on to some extra weight. I think that's just kind of an important thing to think about. Yeah, if you're holding a little bit of weight for your second pregnancy, um, maybe that's where your body needs to be at that point in order to conceive again. You know,
1: the best you can do really with all this stuff is to eat as high of quality food as you possibly can in an amount that is like mindful and satisfies your hunger and fullness cues and rest as much as you possibly can, like slow down as much as you possibly can. And your weight is kind of going to do what it's going to do. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, not unfortunately, I mean, that's a good thing. Actually, yeah. our body is doing what it's meant to do. Some women lose the weight quickly. Some women, it takes longer. I will say, at uh, 17 months postpartum. I know that feels like I should be back to normal by now. I can tell you, it keeps changing. Things keep changing. Your body keeps changing. Boy, when you wean things change yet again, um, when periods hormonally, come back, all physically. That stuff, yeah. Oh yeah. When your periods come back, there are so many, transitions that happen in these first couple years postpartum, it's just such a time to focus on taking care of yourself as best as you can and being really, really, really kind with yourself.
0: Yes. And and it's, not, it's amazing sometimes like that extra weight or whatever could be a cortisol thing. And once you start self love a little bit harder, <laughs> and taking that time to like give yourself grace, the weight can come off because all of a sudden, there's less of this cortisol um, influx that can cause that that hold on. Yeah. And maybe your kid
1: starts sleeping. Oftentimes they start sleeping better at, you know, 18 months, two years, two and a half years. Like it depends on the kid, but if you're getting longer stretches of sleep, that can Mm -hmm. be helpful. There's so many things that can be related. So
0: yeah, I love it. Okay. Um, we're at an hour, but do you have time for one more? To close yeah. Out beautiful. I love this one. Um, we started with nursing. Now we're ending with weaning. So, is there anything we should focus on nutritionally for ourselves once kiddo is weaned? Things we may be depleted in need of um, to make up for, and any tips on getting back into a normal, not nourishing a child way of eating? <laughs> and that question was seconded and third and fourth. So, mm. so I guess the I first part was like nutritionally. So, like, once you wean, is there certain foods or supplements that would be beneficial to kind of, like, rebuild from a -hmm. year or however long, six months, two years, whatever, of nursing? And then um, I think the second part of the question is more of, like, how can I get back into a mindset where I'm no longer, like, quote, unquote, eating for two or eating with breastfeeding in mind? Because sometimes, you know, we have have to eat a little bit more to Mm -hmm. nourish our baby. And so I'm guessing what she means is, like, now that I'm not nursing anymore, do you have any tips Mm. on, like, getting back into, like, okay, Okay. now I'm just eating for – one person again, I guess. That's my guess.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I will tackle number one first. So foods for replenishment. So essentially all the same foods and nutrients for, for replenishment are the same as the ones that you do when planning to conceive and during pregnancy and during nursing, your, your total nutrient needs if you're looking at this from like a dietetic perspective, like your nutrient needs come down um, after you wean, particularly energetically. It depends on how gradually you weaned or not. If it was like a a cold turkey thing and you were still nursing many times a day, or if it was like your child was only nursing once a day for a short period of time for like months and months, then your body has done a lot of the energy adjustment. On its own, like I would assume you're eating um, pretty close to what your energetic needs are already at that point. Um, But as far as what can be depleted during pregnancy and breastfeeding, uh, certainly vitamin B12, choline, iron and zinc, depending on how rich your diet was in either of those, um, iodine. So iodine is a really interesting nutrient in that we always think about it for thyroid health, but your breast tissue actually has larger demands for iodine than your thyroid gland and particularly during nursing. Um, so that's potentially something that gets depleted during breastfeeding if you weren't really cognizant about getting a lot of that. So incorporating some more seaweed into your diet is a good option for that. Uh, let me think, um... Glycine rich foods would also be a good idea. Your breast tissue, so your breasts go through a period of autophagy, like once you quit nursing. So your breasts often get smaller for a period of time. They might remain smaller. You kind of never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Another crapshoot of pregnancy and postpartum. Who knows what's gonna happen to the boobs? Um but glycine is really supportive of, you know, your, your connective tissue and your skin and all of that. So I'd emphasize glycine rich foods in addition to vitamin C rich foods to help with that. Those are probably the top ones. I mean, vitamin D is always going to be something to have on our radar. Um, needs of that tend to peak during breastfeeding, but if you have your vitamin D levels tested, you can see if you're deficient or not. Usually in the summer, less people are deficient, but it Entirely depends on how much sun exposure you're getting on a regular basis. As far as the second part of the question was getting back to a mindful eating, eating the right amount of food for you. Um, Really, I think it's a matter of checking in with yourself and seeing what your hunger and fullness cues are telling you you need to eat. I mean, I know for me at different time points during the postpartum phase, it seemed like a dramatic shift. I feel like the first couple months were just like crazy hungry. And then that kind of regulated after a while. And then around the time I got my cycle back, I felt like my, um, hunger and fullness levels started fluctuating normally, like with the menstrual cycle, as they would do. Um, and then for me personally, weaning was extremely gradual. So I didn't notice a big difference in, in my food intake, but um, if it was a less gradual process, that may be something to to take a little extra time to to be cognizant about. Mm-hmm. Hormonally, a lot will shift with weaning. So some women go through a similar emotional response as they did, like kind of the baby blues sort of situation with weaning that may or may not happen to you, but that could also play a role in your in your eating habits and cravings and hungerfulness cues. So be you know, really gentle with yourself during that first month post weaning, you never know what's going to pop up emotionally, physically. So.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that was spot on. Um, And I think that's a cool question to ask because I think a lot of women are like, okay, I'm just, I'm done. (laughs) But I, you know, it's how, like you said, that's kind of how I plan to do it is to slowly wean off, maybe night wean first and then kind of just fewer throughout the day and then that kind of thing. So I love it. Thank you so much, man. You are so welcome. So much insight. I'm like, Dr- taking notes frantically back here and, um, I'll be posting show notes as well, but where can we find you? Um, I know we said something in the, in the, uh, intro there, but what, where are the best places to, to yeah. find you, contact you, see you, follow you, et cetera.
1: You can, so I'm actually rebranding right now. So I'm moving from Pilates nutritionist to Lily Nichols RDN.com. So depending on when this interview goes live, that should be ready in late August, early September. I hope if all goes as planned. So that'll be my my main site uh, with my blog and all of that. I'm on Instagram at Lily Nichols RDN, Twitter, the same name. I'm also on Facebook. Probably Instagram is the best place to find me on social though. And then if you want a free chapter from Real Food for Pregnancy, you can get that over at realfoodforpregnancy.com. Um, that's one that a lot of people enjoy. I do a nutrient comparison on real food versus non-real food and you can guess which one is more nutrient dense. So <laughs> I love
0: it. Yeah. yeah, guys go check that out and we'll link to all that in the show notes as well. Um, and yeah, thank you uh, guys. Go buy her book. It's incredible.
1: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not yep.
0: just saying that it's really amazing and there's so much information and it's great to potentially give like family members or friends when you get pregnant so that they can help, under Maybe that understand what's going on with you and what foods to bring you and whatnot, or just like just bookmark the chapter twelve and say, "Here, just read this,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if you have a medical provider, a lot of people will give oh, it to their great idea. their doctor, midwife, or whatever. And um, we just found out it got approved for continuing education credits for dietitians. So all that right, all right. that can be a selling point that like legitimizes something that people might otherwise be like, yeah. Why would I want this book? You know. Um, it is it is helpful in professional education as well. Congratulations on that. That's huge.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And I know I will talk to you soon and maybe we'll have to have, have you come back on for a, another episode at some point, because I know we've just kind of scratched the surface. So thanks for your time. And your <laughs> we can talk for hours. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, maybe next time we'll come up there and see you and we can record in person. that will be fun. Yes, let's do it. Awesome. All right. Well, enjoy your day. Thank you so much. And, guys, as always, you can find me at laura.radicalroots on Instagram. Jess is the Space. Email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. And please, please, please subscribe, rate, review. It means so much to us. Helps get our word and this tribe out to more people. So thanks, and have a beautiful week. Talk to you soon, friends. Oh, gosh, where's the stop?
1: <laughs> I don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our
0: podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.